Hola mi gente. The moment you've been waiting for is finally here. My brand new book, Financially Lit, is officially out. And I can't wait for you to get your copy. Inside this book, I'm bringing you culturally relevant and relatable personal finance advice that will allow you to finally feel seen, heard, and understood. Whether it's the guilt you feel from being the first person to make it while members of your family are still struggling, or the way that financial trauma manifests itself in negative and limiting beliefs around money, Financially Lit is here to guide you through it all. Just a few years ago, it was almost impossible to find personal finance books written for first-generation wealth-building Latinas. We have been forced to navigate the complicated world of money with a bunch of money books written by old white dudes who don't understand what it's like for us first-gen kids. But that stops right here, right now. Inside Financially Lit, you will learn how to set boundaries with your familia, with your dinero, create and pass on generational wealth, diversify and increase your income, protect yourself from financial abuse, navigate the complicated relationship between amor and dinero, invest like a white dude or better, and so much more. You can get your hard copy and audiobook version of Financially Lit at financiallylitbook.com and make sure to join our email list so you can find out when I'm stopping in a city near you for the Financially Lit book tour. See you soon. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. But the discrepancy in our salaries also made us, um, I don't know, it kind of taught me. It, it was really you who taught me that there was a better way. I don't, I mean, we talked about, we talk about this very often as a couple, how your partner's good habits can really rub on, rub off on you and how, um, you know, if, if you had also been someone who spent a lot of money, I, I don't think I would have ever changed. You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. I'm your host, Janice Torres Rodriguez, personal finance expert, speaker, writer, and business coach. I teach women of color how to build wealth and gain financial independence through side hustles and investing. On this show, we're serving up POC-friendly personal finance knowledge, always with a side of sass. We're talking about how to make dinero, how to keep it, and how to make it grow. If you're ready to become poderosa with your dinero, you've come to the right place. Hola, mi gente. Welcome back to another episode of Yo Quiero Dinero, the podcast. This is your host, Janice. And today's episode is about my favorite topic of all time. If you've already been here for a while, you know that I'm obsessed with FIRE. Financial independence, retire early or relax early, depending on what you want to define as retirement. So today we're hosting an anonymous gay couple known as Gay Husbands on Fire on Instagram. We're going to call them G and J. And so G and J are on the podcast today to share their journey to financial independence. And what I love about this conversation is that we talk about how to pursue financial independence when you're a couple that has very different income levels, very different views on money, very different money attitudes, very different ways of spending and saving. 
And so this conversation is super interesting. I am so excited for you guys to hear it. And Gay Husbands on Fire is also a multiracial couple. So we talk about things like how immigration impacts your finances and how your cultural upbringing has a major role to play with how you think about money. So I'm super excited to have this conversation. I hope you guys find it insightful, interesting, funny. G and J are hilarious. Like I really want to hang out with them after the world comes back to normal. They are a fabulous couple and I am so excited to be hosting them on the podcast. Before we get into today's episode, I want to let you know about a new live event. We're having our first live workshop event of 2021. I am hosting Master the Market, an investing fundamentals course for beginners. So this live workshop is going to be on February 3rd, 2021 at 7.30 p.m. Eastern, and I'm going to be breaking down all the fundamentals that you need to know about to become a proficient investor. This workshop is perfect for beginners, perfect for people who have been thinking about getting into the stock market, but just really are hung up about how to get started. So we're going to be breaking things down like the different investment account options that you have, how to choose stocks, what the hell stocks are, and also different type of securities like index funds and ETFs. And we're going to talk about how to use investing to build generational wealth, to lower your tax liability, and to pursue financial independence. So if this is a topic that you have been committing yourself to in 2021 to learn more about, this is your chance to join me at this live event, Master the Market, on February 3rd, 7.30 p.m. If you want tickets, head over to YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com and check out the Courses and Downloads tab, and you can get your ticket today. This event will sell out. We only have 100 spots available, and they are already selling like hotcakes, so don't miss your chance to attend our very first live event of 2021, Master the Market. Can't wait to see you there. Before we hop into today's conversation, I want to remind you to follow us on social. If you're loving this podcast and you want more community, you want to find out more about our events and all the stuff that we have going on behind the scenes, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and everywhere else you love to hang out on the internet. If you're loving this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review if you listen to us on Apple. It's the easiest way to share our podcast with people that you know and love, and it helps us get discovered by amazing listeners like you. So take a moment, leave us a review, share us with your friends and family, subscribe so that you never miss an episode, and make sure to check out our blog, YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list and you'll never miss an episode. Plus, you get exclusive invitations to our live events, special discounts for our digital courses, and as always, our best personal finance tips and advice to help you be poderosa with your dinero. Thanks for listening. Now, let's get into the episode. So we have two guests on the podcast today. They go by Gay Husbands on Fire on Instagram. They are anonymous. So we're going to be referring to them as G and J. G and J, welcome to the podcast. Hi. Hi, Janice. Thank you so much. We're so excited to be here. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. It's such a pleasure to have you guys here. Why don't you start off with introducing yourselves? So we are the Gay Husbands on Fire. Uh, We are... uh, gay couple, gay married couple living in New York City. And we are planning for FIRE, which stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. I am G. I am turning 33 tomorrow, as a matter of fact. Oh, happy birthday. Thank you. Happy birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I'm Jay. I am turning 30 
You already turned Sorry, 30. Sorry, I, I turned 30. I'm still coping <laughs> with it, clearly. Clearly. Um, and yes, and you can find us on Instagram on at Gay Husbands on Fire. We uh, like to share our experience planning for fire. I mean, we're still very far from reaching fire, but um, we're just very excited to be part of, you know, the truly amazing financial independence community that we have found online. Yeah, it really is a super special place. But I have to say, I don't feel like I know any other brand, if you will, or or influencers that are in this space of fire and are also part of the LGBT community, which for me, I'm just like, I feel like you probably relate to this in the sense that for the longest time, fire did not feel like it was representative of something that I could actually achieve because there was nobody that was Latina that I could find that was talking about it. So did you guys feel like that when you initially found the community? Um, that is an interesting question. And I don't know. So G, I am G, I am also Latino. I am from Colombia. And you, Jay, you are very white um, and American. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, I love him. Right. Um, but maybe you have a different perspective, you know. Um, but that's interesting. So in terms of um, LGBT representation in the fire community, there are a lot of great voices um, in, in the fire community and other accounts that we have been able to connect with. There's actually this amazing um, couple from Canada, two women. Um, they, they are mostly a YouTube channel couple and they already reached fire and are traveling the world. Um, they're called Our Freedom Years. And I tell them online all the time that they are kind of a role model because they live the lives that we want to live. <laughs> um, so there are voices like theirs and, you know, so many other accounts that really do the good work of highlighting, say, the inequalities uh, in, in society and in the economy with LGBT folks and, you know, in terms of salary, in terms of debt in terms of access to credit, things like that, which, you know, our account is mostly about our personal journey. So we don't touch as much on those topics, but there are voices. But to your point, I think the fire or financial independence community is largely, you know, uh, a Caucasian, maybe product. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I don't know, Jay, what do you think? Yeah, no, I, I think it is. And I think, um, you know, it's, it's such a wonderful, supportive community and, and representation is so important. And it is, you know, it's important to see other, other people out there like you, you know, working to achieve these goals and, um, to see how, you know, fire is, uh, a goal and a, you know, a way of living and a, a lifestyle that, you know, suits so many people across so many different communities. And there's no, you know, one community that it's for. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think it, I think it's, it's improving, but um, yeah, there's definitely a long way to go. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. And that's why I wanted to talk to you guys, because I feel like this is such an important community that for me, I feel like gets largely mixed in with everyone else when we're just discussing general personal finance. And I think personal finance in general has a way of kind of having a one size fits all approach sometimes, especially when you're talking about the mainstream media. And there's so much nuance to the experience of someone who's first gen or for someone who's gay or for somebody who's trans or somebody who's, you know, minority or, or, um, 
and there you just can't apply all these blanket rules to people and think that they're equally achievable. And so, you know, I think the more that we have voices like yours in the space, the more that we can bring inclusivity and diversity, which is so needed to to personal finance in general, I think. Yeah, no, and thank you so much. I mean, there and there are, thank goodness, many other, you know, people in the LGBT community and who are adding their voices to the financial independence chorus, if you want to put it that way. And, and, and it's true, you know, by the mere fact that we are two gay men, uh, for example, for us, if and when we decide to have children, that decision is going to look very different from the decision that, you know, a, a heterosexual couple would have to face, right? Um, so for us, it would be, are we going to adopt? And if so, where? Or are we going to go down the surrogacy path? And of course, both those decisions come with, you know, very important financial considerations attached to them, in addition to the very important financial um, effect on your life that having a child has. Um, so yeah, just, um, what we, we, different people live different lives and their circumstance come with different financial uh, realities. So I think that's why it's important, um, to have diversity in the financial independence community. Like, just like it is important to have diversity at work or, you know, in your friend group, uh, et cetera, because, Otherwise, the information that's going to be out there for people is not going to really be helpful. Um, And role models are very important. Mm -hmm. Um, People do need to see themselves represented in communities that they are part of in order to feel that they can achieve the goals that they have set for themselves and to find mentors. Preach. (laughs) absolutely okay so let's take it back a little bit let's find out more about your individual stories when it comes to what you learned about money growing up i imagine that you know there might be a little bit of a a divergence in what your money stories look like so go ahead and share that perfect jay do you want to start with your with your money story which yeah um i mean so you know we do as g mentioned come from very different backgrounds. Um, you know, I'm from a really small town in the mountains of Colorado, and my dad had <clears throat> a small business, and you know, he was really focused on on teaching me, like you know, the value of a dollar from uh, a very very young age, and you know, it was always um, drilled into me, like you know, the sort of personal responsibility aspects of, of finance, and actually. Growing up, um, you know, my dad would give me like a very small allowance. It was, uh, you know, the the age I was dollars per month. So, if, you know, if I was five, I got five dollars per month so that I could, you know, save up and, and buy a toy or, you know, spend it right away on some candy. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, that process really taught me to to save and think about money as in terms of the trade off and, you know, what you're getting now versus what you're getting later. And was really instilled to me, you know, growing up, um, and something that I always really took for granted and didn't realize that um, that was that was unique in many ways. Mm-hmm. Totally, and I mean, I I would add, uh, we grew up in very different countries too. Mm-hmm. Um, so Johnny, obviously, he's from the United States. He grew up at a time where American wealth and prosperity was kind of unmatched in the world um, in the nineties. 
And, you know, this was like, everyone was living the American dream. I mean, not everyone in reality, right? But it, it was a land of prosperity that was pre Iraq, pre the financial crisis, pre COVID, you know, it's, mm-hmm. like, um, so I think you, because your dad kind of taught you the value of a dollar and gave you power over your own money. Plus, you know, you grew up around people with this great mentality of American expansion and progress and prosperity. You really had a mindset of abundance growing up. Um, My story was very different in in many ways. I grew up in Colombia. I I did have, you know, in many respects, what I would say was a privileged upbringing compared to many other Colombian children. Um, Both my parents worked uh, for American companies down in Colombia, but money was always tight. Um, in my personal life, my, my parents didn't have, you know, the best marriage. My dad, um, had a drinking problem, which he has happily recovered from and is now helping many, uh, recovering addicts in their own journeys. And, you know, I'm incredibly proud of him for that. But while we were growing up, um, our kind of personal family life was always very tense and it it was very tense also because, money wasn't being used responsibly. Um, But because of the turbulent marriage, that also meant that my mom kind of had to take responsibility for me and my brother very quickly. And her salary was the smaller of the two by far. And she was kind of all, you know, my growing up years, she was playing what I can call, best called financial whack-a-mole. It was like one expense comes up and you kind of like try to hit it as quickly as you can and, you know, borrow from person A to pay person B and you just like kind of make do. Um, but you, regardless, you know, I'm incredibly grateful to her because she gave us the best life that she that she could. Um, we were happy children, but we never learned the value of a dollar. We did not have an allowance growing up. Um the most common kind of phrase in Spanish that I associate with money growing up is no tengo plata. I have no money. And the, my, my dad had another joke. I mean, it was, it was kind of a joke, but he would say something like, por plata, no se preocupe que plata no hay. He would say, <laughs> don't worry about money because there is none. And, um, you know, that was kind of like the, it, it's also a very Colombian mentality. Colombia was struggling very much when I was growing up. You know, there were bombs, there were kidnappings, there were massacres, Pablo Escobar, uh, drugs, everything. So the country itself was in turmoil. And money, I feel in societies where money isn't around or even like security, like your very own physical security, people just adopt sometimes a very kind of short-term view of things and you know let's enjoy it while it's here and let's not worry about the future you don't need to plan because who knows what's going to happen i mean that makes so much sense you can't really imagine a future when you're just in that level of of chaos so i i imagine that 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 shaped your mentality with money perhaps in in the sense that you're just like well why am i going to save because what the hell does the future look like is there even a future Totally. And I think that also filled me a little bit with, um, with fear. Um, and, you know, I, when I started working, I knew I wanted to get rid of debt quickly, but it was more from a mentality of fear, right? 
that um, I did not want to, because by the time I had already immigrated to the United States and, you know, kind of like been able to get jobs that paid me really generously for, I mean, particularly for the value that I was bringing as someone who didn't know anything in life. Um, I, yeah, I just came into the working world with that view that I really just wanted to accumulate as much money as I could because I didn't want to go back to that um, state of not having any. Um, and that isn't healthy either, I think. Yeah. I, I talk to people who are immigrants to the U.S. and there is a very common theme of like this sense of hoarding, like you need to hoard money um, and and you're afraid to invest because you don't understand what that means and you're afraid that that's gambling. And um, yeah, I can definitely see how scenarios like what you describe can put someone in that mindset. So let's talk about the debt. What did your debt situation look like? Like where did, um, where did that come from? Yeah. So fortunately, um, you know, I, I didn't have any, um, you know, major student loans. I had really good financial aid from, um, the college that I went to, but, you know, didn't have any sort of lasting, um, student debt hanging over, you know, me making, you know, giving me stress when I'm starting working life and um, could really start, you know, building my own, um, you know, financial place, like from, from a clean slate, which um, is a huge privilege and something I'm really, really grateful for. Yeah, the unfortunately, the story wasn't the same for me. Um, I was very lucky to graduate college without debt. I, I also had kind of very generous financial aid slash scholarship packages that I was able to get. But um, and this, I think, is completely related to kind of my my fear of going back to, quote unquote, like scarcity or, or poverty. I mean, not, not that I was ever poor. I hate saying that word because I cannot say that I was poor. Um, but, you know, I didn't come from an affluent background. Let's just put it that way. Um, but then right after I graduated college, I didn't want to go back to Colombia. I didn't have any job prospects in Colombia. So I applied to law school in the United States not really knowing what I was getting myself into. <laughs> um, there's nobody in my family who's a lawyer. I mean, there's the, the like, a, an in-law, an uncle who is a lawyer, but I don't think he's ever practiced um, back in Colombia. But, you know, I don't really talk to him. And I just thought, yeah, sure, law school seems great. I have verbal abilities. I did really well in my major of political science. So this is, you know, a logical next step. The problem was that law school for private law schools in the United States comes at a price tag of $60,000, $70,000 a year for three years. And um, I was like, yeah, I'm just going to get all these student loans, <laughs> um, which I did. But I also had to get them back in Colombia because I, not being a U.S. citizen, no U.S. lender was willing to lend me money. Oh, um, wow. And interest rates in Colombia were insane they're like 13 percent per year for wow. really good loans um so you know it was uh, a complete leap of faith and kind of a semi-suicidal thing to do because like if I hadn't gotten a job after or my visa situation wouldn't have worked out or you know whatever I would have saddled myself with m like millions of pesos of debt like hundred uh, over a hundred thousand dollars in debt 
So I came into our relationship um, with all that money owed, and it was a constant source of anxiety in my life. But I also think that um, because I was so worried about it, it was one of those things that I talked to Jay about very quickly in our relationship. Like, I don't think there was ever a time in our relationship when we didn't talk about loans or money. Yeah. And I think we've just started off, you know, from such different places in terms of where we were with debt, but then also where we were with, you know, our current salary and our current spending habits that we sort of had to level set and have a lot of conversations about money that like very, very early in our, um, the course of our relationship. And, you know, honestly, conversations that we have friends who are married friends and like they still haven't had <laughs> some of those same yeah. conversations and level setting that, that we had to do like, you know, a few months into dating. Mm-hmm. And so what were the, 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 I guess the differences between your two situations with your income, was that also a topic that you guys had to figure out? Yep. Do you want to talk about it, Jay? Yeah. So, <laughs> so one time we um, sat down, I think it was shortly after like doing taxes and um, did the math and G was making 4.8 times what I was after tax. And I still very much remember the specific <laughs> amount and was like, Whoa, this is why you, uh, you know, want to, go out and um, have these nice meals out and, you know, or go and see a Broadway show and, you know, me feeling like I had to keep up with that. But then at the same time, understanding that, you know, he has pretty intense um, student debt that I had none of that, that, you know, also had to be taken care of too. Yeah. And that discrepancy, I mean, fortunately, uh, I took that risk of going to law school and it worked out for me. Um, financially, you mean financially, and in terms of being able to get a job after, which isn't you know a guaranteed thing by any stretch. Um, so I was able to get a, a high-paying job right out of law school, working for a big law firm in New York City, that helped me pay those loans off. The problem was that I was completely financially illiterate at the time, and. As Jay just said, I was just spending all my money, you know, like going to dinner and going to Broadway shows and buying clothes. I like when we look at how few clothes we buy now versus how often I went to like Zara, H&M, wherever, it was almost like a weekly occurrence before. Um, and but the discrepancy in our salaries also made us... Um, I don't know, it kind of taught me, it, it was really you who taught me that there was a better way. I, I don't, I mean, we talked about, we talk about this very often as a couple, how your partner's good habits can really rub on, rub off on you and how, um, you know, if, if you had also been someone who spent a lot of money, I, I don't think I would have ever changed. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And it, it's, I definitely, I think it's true. Just the company you keep is a sort of a reflection of, of who you become, I think. Totally. Yeah. So I'm curious because, um, you know, I think a lot of couples are in this situation where one person can end up making like substantially more than the other at some point in their relationship. And I imagine that that can cause a lot of tension if you don't talk about what 
and lay out the expectations for each other. So what did those conversations sound like for you guys? Yeah, we're just smiling right now because it's bringing <laughs> a lot of memories. Um, do you want to do you want to give your thoughts, Jay? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we, you know, just had to talk about it and and put like real numbers behind it. And, you know, I think we we reached a point where, um, you know, it was clear that like, even though I was making substantially less money, like, you know, in some respects, I was like accumulating more. I mean, and, and you know, G was paying off these debts and like, I, that's enormous and an enormous aspect of it. But because of the high spending, like there was sort of no nest egg, like accumulating and growing and like, you know, wasn't thinking around like 401k and retirement and, you know, all these things that are so sort of second nature to us now. But in terms of those conversations, I mean, I remember when we moved to our first apartment together, um, we, you know, before we had been dating and had been, had been spending a lot of time together and kind of like sometimes splitting the bill or sometimes, you know, knowing that I would make more money, that I was going to, that I was making more money than you, I would pay for the full thing or, you know, we would find kind of an equitable way of splitting things. But once we decided to live together, we had to sit down and have a much more serious conversation about how we were going to split um, like rent or, you know, utilities and things. And that was maybe one of the first moments that you just said, I cannot keep up with you. Mm-hmm. And um, we use Splitwise a lot. Splitwise is like an app that just splits your expenses, you know, if you have a group of people. And at some point that just became ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> we were like, this is ridiculous. It was we like, this together. is this is my bill for like living with you right. every month. Like I'm we were sure. looking, we were looking at our Venmo history recently and there there were so many charges of like thousand a thousand dollars you paying me back for quote the caption would be like my many debts and it would be all over like living expenses and that was so ridiculous and um so those conversations just like forcing or living together forced us to have those conversations and it forced me to acknowledge that yes it wasn't fair you know we we are a couple we're a household um, we need to think of money kind of as a collective good. And at the same time, I had all the debt, you know, you came into the relationship with assets. You had, I mean, some savings, I had none. Um, so, uh, and, and I don't know, to us, it is kind of a mystery what many of our married friends do with their money. We, you know, like don't really cry in their personal lives. But we're like, oh, do you think that so-and-so, like, do you think they share accounts or what do you think they do? And recently we were talking to some other friends who've been married for a while and, you know, they're slightly older than us. And the topic came up and we said, yeah, we only have like joint accounts and all of our money like is direct deposited into our joint accounts. And then we invest in our brokerage accounts, et cetera, et cetera. And they were like, oh, wow, that is so interesting. Yeah, because we still ask each other for like, a rent check every month and i'm like you guys have a child together yeah um, yeah <laughs> but i mean everybody everybody does it all different ways yeah and and, and that's that's true out it, it, no absolutely my husband and i we've been married seven years and we still have separate bank accounts and i'm fine with it like i am the money manager in the household so his his you know he gets a portion of his check 
uh, I guess transferred to mine to, to my checking account and I, I manage the bills because he's got he's not great with like being on time to even party. So I'm like, I'm not trusting you to pay things and not ending up with late fees because you forgot. So right. it's fine. <laughs> right. Yeah. And different, different arrangements work for different people. Right. Um, for us. Well, and, and we should talk about this too, because it was another important reason why we decided to do it. Immigration has played an important part in our lives too. Um, because of course I'm not a U.S. citizen. And after we got married, um, we had to apply for my permanent residence for my green card. And when you do that, you kind of have to show that you have a quote, good faith marriage and, um, proof of, um, commingling assets as a, as a couple is very strong evidence that you have a good faith marriage. So for us also, that was an important part of the calculus being like, you know, we actually do this and we actually commingled our assets like maybe a year before we got married. I don't know. We had like, I, I forget when yeah, we probably. did it. Um, but in the back of my mind was like, yeah, this makes sense also for that reason. And, um, and now we're very used to it. It's, um, I mean, just please don't run away with my money or our money. <laughs> Likewise. Terrible. Likewise. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, it's, it's an exercise in trust for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and I can totally see why the, you know, based on the immigration situation, that would make the most sense for you guys. So I did have one question. Did you, G, did you pay off your loans before you found out about FIRE or after? Before. Um, okay. And I did it purely out of fear. It was, and now, um, so I paid a hundred over $100,000 in loans um, by, I, I, I was looking at when I made my last payment. I want to say sometime in 2016. Uh, and the sensation of just like freedom, that like warm glow and like fresh air that comes from within your soul, like feeling death free is just like, oh my gosh, the happiness mm. was unlimited. Um, I mean, and the, the interest rates that he had to right. pay uh, really did light a fire. I mean, it was you know, not far off from like putting law school, like on a credit card, like yeah. literally like it's a comparable, comparable interest rate. So um, I think that definitely, you know, caused you to move quickly and, and see how important it was. Totally. To but so, you know, I have to be grateful for the debt and I, that sounds strange, but for several reasons, one, it kind of forced us to talk about money very early in our relationship. And then two, after I paid off my loans, I had gotten used to kind of like living below my means that then I had like all that extra money that I hadn't, that I wasn't spending. Right. And that's when I started kind of like looking at how to manage money responsibly, which I had never done before. I was already, you know, I had access to a 401k since I graduated. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. 
from the launch your online store shop phase to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash dinero, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash dinero now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash dinero. Graduated law school since I started working in 2013. I didn't open one until 2017. Um, and that's just because I was like, no, I'm, I don't understand what a 401k is, you know, and I'm a very, not very, but highly educated individual. Absolutely. You own that. Okay. You paid for that. (laughs) And I would not even like, oh, I'm not even going to look into it. It sounds too complicated. I'm just going to, you know, live my life, pay my loans and then figure it out. And that was, you know, a mistake. Every, everyone in the financial independence community is like, oh, I wish I had started investing in 1854. It's like, sure. Uh, Don't we all? Right. But, um, but the debt really kind of, once it was gone, it really educated me to to be able to save. And that's when I started discovering FIRE. Um, yeah, so let's talk about that. So what actually was the rabbit hole for you <laughs> as far as finding oh, FIRE? Yeah. Um, so I'm much more the reader in terms of financial independence books. But I think, Jay, you are the reader of blogs more than I am. Yeah. So for me, you know, what what's exciting is uh, just seeing people living their lives and traveling and doing what they want to do and not, you know, worried about a nine to five or what your boss wants you to do. Just that sort of freedom and independence is, you know, I think my rabbit hole, just seeing people living their lives in really exciting ways that are, you know, motivated solely by what they want out of life um, without that kind of burden of worrying about, you know, how to how to pay or how to keep, you know, keep the job or keep the boss happy. Yeah. For me, it really was the book, um, the millionaire next door. Um, it's a fantastic book. It's, I mean, by now it is a little bit dated in terms of like the survey results that they looked at, but, um, basically the authors did a massive survey of millionaires in the United States in the nineties. And they realized that most millionaires in the United States were not, you know, people in high paying jobs but they were teachers or they were, you know, small business owners in small town America. Usually married couples had um, 
where the wife managed the finances, Jenny's FYI. Um, they were, <laughs> I'll they take tended, all the credit when we yeah, become they millionaires. They tended to be uh, more likely uh, the millionaires of, of the United States. And their habits were, you know, they, they, they became millionaires by watching their spending, by keeping a budget, by saving the rest. And they stayed millionaires by keeping a budget, watching their spending and saving the rest. That, um, you know, and that, and that really opened my eyes. And this idea that it's not the house that has the fanciest car in the driveway. Correct. And it's not, you know, the people who get new furniture all the time or wear the nicest clothes who are the millionaires. It's really, um, you know, the, the quiet, humble neighbor who you least expect. Well, I, and I think a lot of that has to do with how much America or American culture celebrates celebrity, because I feel like that is what people think of when they think of millionaires. It's either celebrities or like people that won the lottery. And both of those groups of people have a really bad track record for like long term financial security. <laughs> so, totally. Oh, my gosh. Like how many more stories about Johnny Depp's financial like problems <laughs> do we have to read online? It's right. It's true. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, I, you know, I, I, I was never going to reach the levels of wealth that Johnny Depp reached in his life. But, you know, I was very much on the train of, you know, you get a high paying job and every year you just keep working and working and get more money and spend more money. And then eventually at some point you're going to retire somehow. God knows how. Um, but nobody taught me to save. And I think one of the problems is American culture, you know, glorifies celebrity and glorifies consumerism for the sake of it. But also, this is a DIY culture. Everyone at work is like, oh, here is your 401k paperwork. And you're like, what is a 401k? And nobody explains anything to you. Um, no one tells you how to do taxes. No one wants that liability of telling you how to manage your own financial affairs. And you have nowhere to turn to unless, I mean, you know, there's a lot of information online. And I think that's why the financial independence community is kind of a creature of the 21st century in a way, because now we're all able to connect to each other and to find information online. But financial education should be a mandatory subject in all schools around the world. Why do we have to learn physics, but not financial like management? That makes no sense. Yeah. No, and, and I think also for the longest time, it really felt like the wealthy had the access to the professionals, quote unquote, that could steer them the right way, where I think a lot of people have this misconception that you have to have a ton of money to justify having like a financial planner, if that's something that's important to you, or to get like an accountant to help you optimize your taxes, right? It feels like those are luxuries that are for the rich, but they're absolutely not. And too many people are DIYing their retirement, and that's why we have a retirement crisis in our country where I think I heard something like people who are close to retirement have like less than $100,000 saved yeah. uh, on average. I'm like, nobody's going to live 30 years with $100,000 in your retirement account. Right. No. We're all going to end up working at Walmart till we're 95 years old. Right. And, you know, and that is, you know, and, and we're very much to a degree, I mean, capitalists, we invest in the stock market for God's sakes, right? But that indiv hyper individualistic look at retirement and like every you know to each his own you have to figure it out by yourself nobody helps you um that ends up becoming a societal problem because 
you know, at some point you're going to have millions and millions of people with inadequate savings for retirement and who are going to have a very, very difficult time, um, you know, just making ends meet because nobody taught them. And, you know, some people, sure, because of their irresponsible habits, but others just out of sheer ignorance. Um, and I do think there is a role for, you know, universities, schools, maybe some levels of government, employers to just make this information available and make sure that people understand it because it is so important. Money is probably the most important tool there is for people to be able to navigate the world. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so let's talk about your fire journey. So you read this book, The Millionaire Next Door. And do you have the moment right then and there that just like, oh my God, we've been doing this wrong the whole time? Or was it a process for you? Um, what do you what do you what do you <laughs> I mean, I my reaction was like, oh, okay, like that sounds like what I've been doing to some extent, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, let's let's invest, like let's do this smarter, but like yeah, I would love to um, not work <laughs> forever. Yes, <laughs> forever, right? And yeah, that sounds like a goal that I'm really excited about. Um, but I mean, G, I think is the one who really like operationalized it and kicked it into gear. Um, you know, in terms of so, like, I mean, decreasing, you know, needless buying and consumption. I think that that came from both of us, and it's probably something I led, and then G really led the, um, you know getting our investment strategy together and sort of kicking that into gear and then, um, you know, doing things like both like maxing out our, you know, 401ks at work and uh, a lot of the, you know, real nuts and bolts of what we do. to Which to felt progress. really, really scary at the beginning, right? When you open your whatever mass mutual or Schwab, whatever 401k website that you have at work and you increase the percentage, you're like, oh my God, am I going to have enough money to survive this month? And then you realize that yes, you, you will have enough money. And I don't know that like that first, um, kind of like putting your toes in the water of investing quickly develops into you just wanting to swim, you know, to get into this water and just thrive. And like now every month, every paycheck, rather every two weeks or, you know, mid month, whenever we get paid, um, we invest. Money that if I, you know, if the me from three or four years ago would be like, you're going to be investing, you know, $10,000 a month in the stock market. I'd be like, are you crazy? That's insane. Um, but once you start, it really becomes a habit and it really becomes something that you want to do. And you can't imagine not putting your money to work. And I think once you, once you see that money working, I mean, you see the flip side is, you know, how that money is just wasted if it's spent, right? So I think as we're also, you know, on the more like lifestyle consumption changing things, like, I mean, we, we're doing simple things like eating Chipotle like all the time for lunch, right? And that just adds up right. so, so much. We're getting, um, you know, seamless for dinner four or five times a week, right? Um, you know, it's just not a, a smart way to live when you can, you know, spend a little extra time, a little extra effort, but also something you really enjoy to, you know, make lunch ahead and buy groceries and cook at home together. Plus um, it's healthy. And then you see how that money saved just gets put to work even more uh, and the benefits that it pays off. Right. So, but I realize you asked us about 
you know, our fire journey. So like, I guess in summary, after I read the book, I was like, oh my God, it like flipped a switch in my head. Jay was, oh, I told you so. This makes perfect sense. And I started kind of drastically, you know, looking for ways to save money, stopped buying clothes all the time, stopped upgrading phones every year or every six months. I like leased a phone. I'm like, why? Why was I paying T-Mobile to lease a phone? This is ridiculous. Um, and then I remember by, it took us about, I remember when we saved our first hundred thousand dollars when at the time we were using mint.com to, um, track our net worth. And when we hit a hundred thousand, I was like, wow, I had never, like my, my mom never had that much money to her name ever. Um, and we just felt immensely proud that, and I think we did it maybe in a year or a year and a half. And it just happened so much more quickly than I ever thought possible that it just like, we didn't want to stop. Um, and after the millionaire next door, um, I started reading, you know, books by Jack Bogle, the late founder of Vanguard, um, common sense and mutual funds, which, you know, Jay finds like really hard to read because it has math. The real peach but, turner, um, common sense and mutual funds. But you know, things like that. If you're having and, trouble sleeping at night. Um, and books on this, <laughs> books on the psychology of money. Um, then I found this amazing booklet that I sent to all my friends and it's free. It's online, um, by William Bernstein, who is of all things, a, a neurologist who is like, I guess, a genius and also writes about finance. Um, and it's called if, if you can, how millennials can get rich slowly, I believe. And you just Google it, William Bernstein. It's like you read it in 30 minutes and it has like five little chapters with assigned reading and i read all the books that he assigned and i was like oh my god i i now know what to do um you know i have to invest in uh low cost index funds i should not be picking stocks i should not you know spend more than i make um i should not sell if there is a panic in the stock market uh things like that right like it's very basic knowledge things and that's another thing people think that investing is complicated but it's not it is very easy it can be very complicated but it is very easy um and little by little i mean like three plus years fast forward now our net worth today stands at around four hundred fifty four thousand dollars, which you know is really inadequate if we wanted to quit our jobs right now but it well, is yeah because you so live in new york city <laughs> further right also that uh it is so much further than i would have ever imagined um listen there i will tell you right now most 30 ish year olds do not have anywhere near that net right. worth okay right. so that you guys are unicorns in that sense <laughs> so be proud of it <laughs> thank you Absolutely. So what does your fire plan look like? Like, when do you guys meet your, your, um, you know, your timeline? What does that look like? That's an interesting question. I mean, so we are projected to reach financial independence um, around the year 2031. 
Okay. So, you know, 10 years, uh, no biggie. Um, and by then we will ha- hopefully have a hit net worth of 2.5 million. That's kind of our fire number. Um, the, you know, that is the plan, but if, you know, like John Lennon says, like life is what happens to you when you had other plans. So we'll see, right. Um, in, in the next 10 years, so many things can happen. And, you know, just like 2020 life can take you by surprise. Um, and Jay, you know, he is, um, he is a free bird. He, <laughs> he loves to travel and, you know, where, is that about. what you guys plan to do after yeah, reaching fire? 20, 2035 is just, it feels, 2031. 2031. Yeah. It's just, uh, it feels like it's, you know, so close in some respects, but also a long way away. And I think what we, we feel really good about the progress we're making and like what we're doing, you know, this day, this month, this year, no matter what, um, you know, what it looks like at the end is like something to be excited about, but you know, we'll see what really happens when we get there. I think, you know, there's an argument to be made to like find, you know, not, not a job for the sake of a paycheck, but you know, something that excites you that, you know, still brings something into the bank every month. So, you know, who knows if it's that, who knows if it's, you know, doing sort of the work we're doing now, but in a freelance capacity, right doing something else um but i think you know what what's exciting is to be at a point where you have total options and total freedom to explore and make those decisions without sort of the uh you know need to exactly yeah and and i think what jay also wants to say is that 2031 might be a little too far away for him so maybe maybe there's going to be a slight change in the plan along the way and we're going to have to, you know, adapt our expectations <laughs> in terms of future spending. We don't know. I mean, uh, I also want to retire early and as early as possible. Um, but we get in cute couple arguments about an appropriate, gonna an appropriate like. safe withdrawal rate. <laughs> Uh, those are only are. only fire people would understand those arguments. <laughs> that's how fun we are. <laughs> yeah, but I think we're both on the same page that I mean, at least at the beginning of our early retirement, we do want to travel. Um, and uh, I mean, both of us have been very lucky in the sense that we've also been able to visit many countries. Um, I actually lived in Hong Kong for two years because I got a scholarship from Columbia to go to Hong Kong. And that's how I actually ended up coming to the US through Hong Kong. So, you know, we both, you, you studied in Brazil, you actually, as a child, were able to go to Europe. Um, so we both like to travel. And that's something we want to do. The world is a very exciting and big place. And we enjoy other cultures, we enjoy learning other languages, meeting people who are not you know, necessarily like us. And even though we love New York City, in part because of its international kind of character, um, we know we want to explore. But, you know, um, at some point, we're going to have to kind of settle down, I guess, and, um, and live life. And that's kind of the exciting things. It's like a life of possibilities, a life of financial empowerment just opens the door to endless things. Like, will we become like, novel authors maybe um or i don't know fitness influencers well that would that would be a miracle but um (laughs) it's true i think that's what fire represents for so many of us it's just this this ability to opt out of anything that feels like an obligation 
right? right? Because I feel like so much of our decision making in life when we are saddled with things like debt and uh, inadequate income and just no safety net, it's just like making decisions out of need or out of the need to survive as opposed to really doing things that you want because that is honestly what your ideal life looks like. So so just to recap, so you guys are saving – would you say at least 50% of your income? That's our goal. Um, our monthly goal is 50%. The past couple of months, we've actually been able to save more. And that is kind of the paradox of 2020, right? Uh, um, it has been a devastating year for many, many, many people. Um, but uh, capitalism being what it is, it has created even more inequality and has been a good year for a lot of white collar workers like us who just haven't been spending money because, you know, we're staying home. Um, but our goal normally is 50%. Okay. And you have your six-month emergency fund. Mm-hmm. You yeah, are investing yeah. majority in um, like low-cost index funds you in- indicated? Low-cost index funds. Vanguard is, um, you know, our friend. We, <laughs> like many in the fire community, I mean, Vanguard and Jack Vogel, it's, it's just such a good thing that they exist and existed in the world um without them the fire community wouldn't really be a thing and i think they started this revolution that we are benefiting from in terms of no cost investing or very low cost investing and that is for sure what's opened the floodgates for people in the united states and many other countries to be able to participate in the capital markets and it's also it's you know there's obviously risk with every investment but in some ways it feels like low stress investment too because it's you know the whole market it's representative of anything that happens it's captured you don't have to stress and you know read all these reports and analyses of what's been happening with an individual company and feel like you're really going out on the line i mean it's certainly risky it's the stock market no matter what but um it just it feels like a, a way to sort of simplify it and keep it on autopilot that, um, you know, I think it's really, really helpful for us. Totally. I mean, we do have a small, like maybe 1% of our portfolio currently is invested in individual stocks. But, um, you know, it's kind of like play money more than anything else. Um, and we, it's actually an investment we made this year um, in the middle of the pandemic, like around June because we were like, oh my God, should we buy, you know, should we diversify and buy a rental property somewhere? But like, what do we know about rental properties? Literally nothing. And, you know, we would probably buy it somewhere in Texas or Florida where we had to hire like a property manager. And maybe it's something that we will do in the future. But these were kind of just like our daydreams in our apartment talking about, you know, how to diversify our investments further. So what we ended up doing instead was just buying um, stocks of four New York City REITs that have been literally battered because of COVID, Um, you know, companies that own a lot of office space in New York. And we just, they were trading at such a big discount compared to their pre-COVID levels that we said, let's just buy them now. Hopefully New York, you know, a year, two years from now, will come back and we will be able to make some money from this investment. But it's negligible. It's not going to, you know, make any difference really in our retirement plans. Mm-hmm. That's great. Okay. So why did you guys decide to share your fire journey on social media? Um, 
Well, it's that is an interesting question. It is something that I had wanted to do for a long time. Um, and I didn't know what the best medium would be. We had thought about maybe a blog or, you know, a YouTube channel. Um, but then we settled on Instagram because, I mean, Instagram has this fantastic reach with people. And um, it is in your phone. It is incredibly uh, addictive. Also, I mean, I'm fully addicted to it. But um, we wanted to connect, to be able to connect with other people who were on the same journey. And even though we mention fire to some of our close friends and certainly our family, um, we don't know many other people personally who are on this same journey. And fire is a very long process, reaching fire, right? Unless you're like expecting some inheritance or win the lottery or something, right? And you need to stay motivated. You need to stay inspired. And um, people who, uh, just, the fire community is just full of such amazing individuals that you just need something to look up to and you just need to kind of like prop each other up. And honestly, it is one of the best corners of the internet. I am convinced of it. Everyone is so incredibly supportive. Um, everyone celebrates each other's wins, gives encouragement to each other when things don't go well. Um, everyone is incredibly respectful. Uh, so far, I mean, we, you know, have been very blessed that we haven't received any, like, ugly messages online. Um, so... I think it was out because we had this desire to connect with others and share our story. And we are really passionate about this subject and we just can't talk about it all the time with our friends because they would stop <laughs> talking to us. Yeah. They don't get it. <laughs> I get. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's totally it. It's like people don't fully get it and to like tap into communities that like get it and live it and want to talk mm -hmm. about it is, um, that's just awesome. Yeah. So what does financial self-care mean to you? Financial self-care means, um, you know, having a, a goal and a direction, but being okay if things don't, you know, always work out every single time. It means for me, like, you know, being, being kind to yourself um, and understanding that, you know, life happens and you might have a savings goal, but, you know, you also have a medical bill that comes up or, you know, maybe it's Christmas and you really want to get someone who's had a really hard time or an extra nice gift. And, um, it's, it's being okay and accepting with that while still having like the big master goal in mind. Oh, that's so great. I really like that. Um, for me, it's really, uh, I think I started taking care of myself financially when I was able to derive pleasure from saving. Um, we associate pleasure with spending in our society and with having things. And once I was able to like actually get happiness, like I guess like a hit of endorphin in my brain from just investing money for our future, that's when I started taking care of myself financially, I think. Um, saving and investing for me is fundamentally, um, financial self-care. And, um, you know, 
some people ask us like, oh, should I invest in this? What do you think? I mean, we are not financial experts by any means. You know, we're just two gay guys trying to save and invest and sharing our journey online. Uh, we've read a bunch of books and blogs and, you know, have some knowledge of how the capital markets work, but we're not experts and everyone should kind of follow their own path. But please, please, please save, save and invest. Whatever you're doing, just save and invest. And whatever you think is good, um, find the information out there because that is the best way to take care of yourself. Absolutely. I love that advice. Did you guys know, I read this recently, that spending money actually activates the areas in our brain that are associated with physical pain and feelings of disgust. So <laughs> what the more strongly you feel this pain, the less you enjoy it and the, the more that it affects your money decisions. So I don't think people realize enough like how the relationship that we have with money manifests itself in a sort of psychology or psychosis, depending on your situation. Right. No, um, and, and I yeah. think losing money in the stock market oh, yeah. also has that same reaction of, you know, almost similar to physical pain. And that's why so many people end up, you know, panicking and selling. When, or not even participating. Uh, we're not even participating, right. So that's absolutely true. I mean, we, one, money is purely a creature of the mind. Money does not exist in nature or, you know, in physics. It is it is a social construct that we have created. Um, so psychology is 100% tied to it. Um, so yeah, I mean, that is very interesting. Yeah. So what is your money mantra? Uh, I would say, and... I mean, I don't know if I came up with this like originally or if someone else out there already thought of it, but uh, we feel very proud of it. And um, it is we choose Yo uh, we choose fire over YOLO. We choose fire over YOLO because we live in a YOLO culture. Yes. Um, in a in a culture that glorifies, you know, uh, instant gratification. Instant gratification. The click here, get now, call now, be happy, buy this. And, um, and we don't like that. We choose fire over YOLO. You only live once, but hopefully for a very long time. Right. So be smart. Yes. And one that does not involve living paycheck to paycheck. That's not a vibe. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> totally right. This combo has been great, guys. Where can we find you and follow your journey? Uh, you can find us on Instagram, um, at gay husbands on fire. And, uh, you know, we're there every day, uh, connecting with people, sharing stories, liking things. And uh, it is such a great financial, um, it is a great community, the financial independence community. And if any of your listeners, you know, want to start kind of learning more about it, just, you know, just open an account, uh, just start, look, Google financial independence and, Every small step you take is just going to multiply um, in your life. It's guaranteed. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for honoring us with your time. And thank you for your really important message. Um, I think the more people that talk about the alternatives to this very American consumerist society of scarcity and struggle, and the more that, you know, we present an alternative, I think we're going to continue to see a shift in the mindset that many people have with money, especially in our community. So thank you for being here. 
Thank you so much, Janice. It was so nice to talk to you. Yeah, thank you so much. It was my pleasure. I hope you love this conversation. I love G and J, and I'm so grateful for them for sharing their story. I think a lot of us that are in relationships, whether you're married or just dating, you can definitely relate to having conversations with your loved one about money. And a lot of the times, you'll realize you might be on completely different pages, just depending on how you grew up and all these other factors that play into our money story. So I'm super inspired by G&J's story and their ability to get on the same page when it comes to pursuing what really matters in life, which is living your best damn life and doing things that are intentional that will help you get to your money goals. So I can't wait to continue to follow their journey to financial independence. It's definitely giving me motivation to continue with my journey. And I hope that this conversation has you thinking about what your ideal life actually looks like and how you can start making deliberate financial moves to get to that place, maybe just a little bit faster. So until next time, stay motivated, stay educated, and stay poderosa. On the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast and associated entities, all information provided is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this podcast and associated entities and disclaim all liability with respect to such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions, or misleading or defamatory statements. Usage of this podcast and associated contents constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 